We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, welcome back, BuzzBeat listeners, uh, Queen City Hoops readers, and uh, Hornets fans. This is episode 16 of the BuzzBeat podcast. Uh, again, hard to believe that we're this far along right now, but we appreciate everyone that is stuck with us to this point. We are a member of the ABPN podcast network. That stands for the Almighty Baller Podcast Network. Uh, today, I have with me, as usual, my co-host, Richie Randall. Richie, how's it going, my friend? Doing pretty good, Spencer. Uh, this is the first time we've done an evening podcast in a while. We typically do them on Saturday mornings, but we thought we'd put together an impromptu podcast together. I'm doing pretty good, though. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I've got some. Um, I got a trip and taking this weekend, so I'll be out. Um, so Richie and I are going to attack this one uh, in the middle of the week, and it's a good time because the Hornets are on a two-game winning streak here. Um, so we're going to talk about the Denver win, uh, which is the last game of the West Coast road trip. And we're also going to talk about the Indiana win at home last night. Looked really, really good, albeit against a team that um, was on the heels of a back-to-back. But I still thought it was a complete team performance and probably the best defensive performance we've seen from the Hornets maybe all season, Richie. But we will get to all that. Um, we will also look ahead uh, to see what the Hornets have coming up. They've got, the let's see, they've got 10 of their next 13 at home, so still plenty of uh, opportunity for Charlotte to get back in this playoff race as they're three games out. But before we continue, Richie, I just wanted to go ahead and, and make a, uh, a quick statement here about some things that have happened over at Queen City Hoops, you know, surrounding the Frank Kaminsky report uh, that we came out with um, in the past 24 hours. Uh, last night, Queen City Hoops broke the story that he would be out for the rest of the season with an injury. Uh, but now, as you probably already know, uh, if you keep up with us and, and well, just keep up with the Hornets in general, that story has been retracted. Uh, Queen City Hoops has a long-standing rapport with various sources, sources that we use to bring you the latest Hornets news. Unfortunately, this time we got it wrong, and we're sorry about that, and we're sorry to let our followers down. Uh, the foundation of Queen City Hoops is certainly built on being a credible hub for all things Hornets basketball, 
and we hope that you all continue to let us be that for you. So uh, just kind of wanted to get that out there. I mean, you know, I, I talked about it last night on Twitter, but um, that's the last we're going to say uh, on that topic. And we hope that you'll uh, you'll keep coming to Queen City Hoops uh, and listening to Buzzbeat for all of your Hornets um, news analysis, unofficial news analysis uh, in the future. So that's the last we're going to say on that, Richie. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah, we're, we're moving on here. But yeah, I mean, it's still up in the air. It's still up in the air with his injury. He may not be out for the season, but you just never know in terms of uh, how things progress. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and you know, here, here's the greatest news is he's going to be back sooner, right? Like we were wrong and he's back. And that's a good news for Hornets fans. It's a good news for us. It's a good news for the team. So that being said, Richie Denver on Saturday night, probably a game that, um, that we knew that the Hornets needed to win, you know, obviously to stay in the playoff hunt, but we knew they needed to win for their psyche too, because the road game on the West coast, the last of that trip, you really felt like they could build some momentum by getting that game, which they did. What was the key in that game to you, Richie? The Hornets, I mean, they pretty much controlled it from, from start to finish. I thought, Um, but what was the key to you? Yeah. I mean, we did control it from start to finish. It, It was a complete win from quarter one to quarter four. I think the biggest thing was our three-point shooting. You know, we're not known for the greatest, you know, three-point shooting. We don't attempt a lot. But throughout the game, we shot 60%, and it was consistent from quarter one to quarter four. From quarter one, we shot five of seven. Quarter two, three of five. Quarter three, five of eight. And quarter four, three of seven. So from quarter one to quarter four, uh, we did very well from shooting the ball from behind the arc. And Nick Batum, uh, the guy that we've been bashing, you know, prior prior to these episode or prior to this episode, his recent play has not been good. But this in the Denver game, uh, he's turned it around. He started off very strong. He did not miss a field goal until 4:21 remaining in the third quarter. Uh, that's that's great news for the Hornets. That's great news for Batum's confidence. He did not miss until late, late in third quarter. And another note to kind of point out is second chance points. We had 20 second chance points. We average 12 on the year, so that's a, you know, obviously an eight difference there. It's 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 huge. It's huge when we're getting those those second chances at it. And Marvin Williams to me was the player of the game. I know that Kimba probably got the player of the game on our in our local broadcast, but Marvin Williams, even though he only scored 14 points, he was very efficient from the field. He had 12 rebounds, and then six of those happened to come on the offensive end, which led to those second-chance points as well. So three-point shooting I thought was great, and second-chance points overall was a very good key factor in us winning 112-102. to Well, I think you brought up two points that I want to talk about for a minute. The first one is the three-point shooting that the Hornets had displayed. Really, I would say, I mean, for the better part of that West Coast trip, and especially in these last two games— They've been shooting the three-point shot a whole lot better, and that is kind of the same. So that's a very important important factor of their offense, especially in a pick and roll heavy offense. You know, if, if Kimba is getting shielded from the rim, is he if he's getting shut off off of pick and roll situations, and if the defense is super clued in on him, then you know the opportunities from outside are going to be there. So that's a good segue to the second point: is that Marvin Williams has been a different player. I would see, especially in the past three games. And if he can even sniff the production that he had last season when he was a 40% three-point shooter, um, I, I really see I, – I could see the Hornets' offense 
you know, experiencing a, a real uptick here late in the season because he looks to have his confidence back. He's more engaged in the offense. He's letting the shot go quicker. He's just been a different player in the last three games, Richie. And so the three-point shooting and the Marvin Williams play, to me, have been the most um, the most encouraging aspects of the Hornets' offense here lately. Absolutely. I mean, that's been Marvin Williams' three-point shooting, very encouraging. You know, this is what we missed from last year is, is, is this shooting. It has, de- has definitely taken a dip this year. We've seen its ups and its downs. But in the last five games, Marvin Williams has been averaging 13 points per game and seven rebounds. But from behind the arc is really where it's been promising. And it adds a different element to our offense. He's shooting 50% from behind the arc. Obviously, this is not sustainable. But we, lo- we love to see him shooting well from behind the arc. And it gives us something uh, a little bit different. Because we can always count on Marvin for his energy, his effort, his defense, uh, his rebounding, uh, getting others involved in terms of you know keeping them in the game mentally. You know all the intangibles. He's the glue guy. You know that's something that you can always count on with Marvin. We just want his shooting to get back up to where it was last year, at least close to it. I guess we didn't really expect it to be over forty percent, but the fact that he's shooting fifty percent for the past five games is definitely definitely encouraging. You never really have to worry about. Marvin's uh, his effort and what he gives you defensively and, and in a lot of cases you know when MK especially when MKG has to be off the floor you know Marvin is guarding the best offensive player you know on the other team if that player is not center right like Marvin is that versatile defensively so he's just I mean he's just such a pleasure to watch because he if he's not scoring if he's not shooting the ball well which he hasn't this season he's just that kind of guy he's not going to let it affect him Right, like he's going to find a way to impact the game, which he's done all season in a struggle. Um, you know, we've talked about Frank Kaminsky a lot this season and kind of how he has to get going. He has to be engaged offensively, and if he's not, he's going to struggle because that's just that's how his basketball mind works. Marvin's not that guy. So I think that, you know, if Marvin can get going offensively on a consistent basis from here on out to the rest of the season – he already makes a huge difference on the defensive end. If we can start getting that production offensively, all of a sudden he he really does move the needle that much. And that's why the Hornets made him such a priority to re-sign in the offseason. But tell you what, again, I'm just echoing myself and, and you now, but his play in the last few games I think is something the fans are not talking about enough. Uh, is it, Batum's been better. Kimba's back to all-star form. Here go the Hornets on a two-game winning streak here against you know two pretty solid teams. But I think the Marvin Williams play should be talked about more because I think he is that important uh, from a holistic standpoint on both ends of the court uh, to the Hornets play. Um, Richie, anything in that Denver game? I mean, you brought up the offensive rebounds earlier. Mention that one more time. How many did we yank down? Well, it was the second-chance points. We had 20 second-chance points. We averaged 12 for the year. Average 12 for the year, 22nd chance points, which tells you that every offensive rebound, every second chance that we got, or at least the the majority, we took advantage of those. How many offensive rebounds against Denver? We had 13. 13, which is a lot. And MKG probably was was a a menace on the offensive glass, I would imagine, as well. It was mostly Marvin. He had six, and then it was sprinkled throughout. Well, you know, and it's somewhere that the Hornets, you know, they have to take advantage of you know, of the offensive rebounding. And, you know, we talked about a little bit the other night, you know, when you have Zeller in there, opposed to when you have him or Kaminsky in there, you know, 
being able to put MKG, even when he's in there with Zeller, because Zeller's still spending a lot of his time, you know, screening around the arc, putting MKG in that short corner area and allowing him to already be in position to, to offensive rebound has been, I think you've seen that probably have more of an effect for the Hornets this season than it even has in seasons past. And I think that's just MKG's IQ. But that that's a very positive, that's a big positive uh, for the Hornets in that Denver performance. I'm trying to think if there's anything else really that I saw. Johnny O'Brien had a coming out party. I think we have to, I think we have to have a whole like five minutes or probably more than that to talk about him. And I guess this, you're right, Richie, this is the appropriate time to do it because that was his coming out party. He had fifth, what, 15 points, six rebounds, I think, in 15 minutes, right? Right, that was correct. Career high, 15 points, and he had a full repertoire from shooting from mid-range up near the basket. He even made a three. I didn't even know he had that that in him. Um, but it was crazy to see. Like he And he's not a tall guy, but he's got some bulk. I think he's like 255, 260. And not that he played a lot of minutes against Jokic, but he, he could body him if he needed to, needed to. Totally agreed. I'll tell you a few things I see when I watch Johnny O'Brien play. You know, I see a guy who's, he's not a behemoth. You know, he's not going to be able to guard the biggest centers in the NBA, but he has a very, de- you know, he has a deep skill set. I mean, his skill set is very advanced. It is, uh, it plays to this style uh, of basketball, the modern style of NBA basketball. He can play from the high post. He can hit the mid-range jumper. Um I wouldn't say he's a three-point shooter, but he can knock down that shot, Richie, to your point. But on top of that, you know, and going back and watching the Denver game and watching the Indiana game last night, he's a really good passer. Um, And I think that's probably his – that's probably the most underrated skill that he has. He's a really, really good feel for the game. He's a good catcher. He's a good passer. He's just a big that you can – you can rely on and trust throwing him the ball in a lot of different situations. So, you know, I can see why he's – why he's hung around the NBA for as long as he as long as he has, uh, and why he's got as many chances with you know all these teams that he has. Um, so the Hornets have signed him to a second ten day deal. When this deal runs out, um, if they do you know back right up against that time frame where Kaminsky is questionable to come back or not, they're going to have to make a decision because the next contract that he gets would have to be for the right. rest of the season. Right. Um, so that should be interesting, but, but look, I, I think O'Brien is a, is, is definitely a serviceable backup or, or third option, you know, in the front court in this league. And he's done a phenomenal job right now with the Hornets. And here's the best thing, Richie, he's come in early. He's had success. He's seen shots go in. Um, I think we've, you probably saw with me last night, how excited the bench is to see him do things. So I just feel like he's playing with a lot of confidence right now too. And I, that's definitely half the battle. And I wish um, Bronte Weber would get more minutes, but I know that Roberts is not playing that bad recently, but it would be interesting to see how Weber plays because I know that in the D-League, he had like four or five triple-doubles down there. So I just would like to see him play, and I do like how Weber gets into it on the bench as well. He gets energized, he's into the game, and I know that you know, as someone that just got called up, you're, you you want to be in the game, and you want to show the coaches that you kind of have that, that team spirit. I know that sounds very high schoolish, but but... Uh, you know, he's he's very into the game. No, that doesn't sound high schoolish at all, Richie. I've had the same thought. Briantu knows what he's doing. Uh, again, I, I know the kid. I don't, well, it was a stinger, um, actually, the other week that I was talking about him on. Richie, Fork Union, the school I worked at before I went to the University of Richmond and coached at, Briante went there for a, for a uh, prep school year. So I saw him play um, really for, you know, his 13th grade, if you will. 
but I know, I mean, he's a good kid. He's a fierce competitor. He's a <laughs> incredibly loud personality. So half of it is his personality there on the bench. The other half of it is exactly what you just said, is that he knows that that's what coaches want to see. You know, I'm a team guy. I'm going to cheer for my teammates, whether I'm playing zero minutes or 40 minutes. And, uh, and that, you know, and to your point too, he's a good enough player to earn minutes. So I'm a little bit surprised that Charlotte hasn't given him a chance yet. I think he would be, I think he's a far superior talent to Brian Roberts at this point in time, but you and I both know, um, Steve Clifford and his tendencies. And he just has a really, really, really hard time not only trusting a young player, but a young player who hasn't been in his system. You know, because we've seen we've seen Briante Weber go to Memphis, where I, I would I would consider Memphis one of the most concrete basketball systems, you know, in the NBA. And he went in there last season and had a great month of basketball, I want to say, uh, right when they're in the middle of a, a playoff hunt. So I am a little surprised he hasn't played in Charlotte, Richie, so far. I wonder if he over O'Brien will get that that contract in the year. I feel like he would have a better chance of getting that. Um, that's a good question. I mean, I, I think that probably just based on the bodies. Would... No, no, no. I I agree with you. Like, I don't think. I mean, uh, I don't know. I guess it just depends on like where Charlotte's priorities are, right? Like, like do they need more help in the backcourt? Do we think like going into next season, or do they need more help in the front court? You know, just looking at the roster, it would seem like the answer to that is probably the backcourt. But yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting question. I mean, I think there are two guys, and if I'm not mistaken, Johnny O'Brien has played summer league with the Hornets definitely one season, if not two. So they have had their eyes on him before. They know what he's about. They know what he can do. Um, You know, just from watching him play, you can see why he's a good fit for this offensive system. Because he is a good screener, he's a good roller. He can catch, he can pass. Like he has a lot of those skill sets that the Hornets like in their bigs around a Kimball Walker, right? Like they don't want a guy who can. They're trying to move away from the algae and move to the guys who can either catch, screen, roll, or, or excuse me, um, or set a pick and roll, set a screen and pop. Like they have the very, they have a variety of skills offensively. That's the big they want to move towards. So it's easy to, you know, it's easy to see why Johnny O'Brien is an attractive option. But yeah, I don't know, Briante Weber, because, you know, I thought a little over a week ago, like when they went with this 10 day and then there was this talk about Brandon Jennings possibly coming to Charlotte. And then you <laughs> see this stuff about, well, no, no, they're happy with Briante. You know, he's going to get minutes. And here we are right up against that 10 day. And I don't know if he's going to get one minute. So it's a little odd there, but I, I just think that's a, again, I already said it, but I, I just think that's a factor of Steve Clifford. You know, I, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's in practice. Maybe he just has a look. Briante Weber is a very loose basketball player, so I, I'm not comparing him to Lance Stevenson, but he he takes chances a lot, and not like chances like Nick Batum, like trying to thread the needle passes. Like Briante Weber has a scorer's mentality, and when he puts the ball on the deck and puts his head, like he's going to score the ball, and he's going to take a shot against two or three guys, however many guys want to go up in the air with me. I'm going to try to score it. Like he's not afraid. That's what I love about him. But that's probably also what Clifford looks at and says, "Eh, you know what? At this point in time in the season, we got 20 games left. Like we need to make a run. I don't know if I'm ready to trust that guy. Just throw him in there. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. I mean that that's Clifford for you. 
Exactly. It is Clifford, and, and that's fine. I mean, some coaches are more willing to let guys be themselves, and some coaches want to find guys that, you know, that, that fit what they exactly what they want to see on the court um, and, and fit around their best players. But so it's an interesting conversation. But look, I think you and I stand on the same side uh, of the sandbox here. I think that Briante Weber is <laughs> he's a superior talent to Brian Roberts right now. But to your point, Roberts is getting it done. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's weird that we're having conversations about 10-day contract players, but that's the Hornets season for you. Well, I mean, that's where we are, though, right? And, <laughs> and we've won two games with, you know, Johnny O'Brien. I mean, we're spending almost 10 minutes talking about him, but he deserves it. And look, like, this is the NBA, right? Like, I, I, this is the stuff that makes this league so great is here are guys that are really auditioning for their next contract or, you know, probably in both their cases for a training camp invite – but they're making a difference, or at least one of them right now for the Hornets is making a difference in a playoff hunt uh, for a team. And, and I, I just think that's the cool part of the NBA. And so props to Johnny O'Brien for doing what he's done to this point. J-O-B. And, uh, J-O-B. And, uh, you know, and he's, he's been good and he's got confidence, and there's really no reason to think it won't continue. That guy's got – he's a spunky player, uh, and he's got a lot of skills. Anything else you want to touch on this Denver game before we move on to Indiana? The only other thing is that we played well defensively, but the only person that went off on us was uh, Jokic, who scored 31 points. And really, no one else was that much of a factor. I know that Gallinari scored a lot of points, but it was mostly from the free throw line. He scored 10 of his 22 points from the free throw line. So I wonder, I don't know if that was a design strategy, but you know, it happened in the, the, the Pacers game that we're getting ready to get into, is do we just let the star player get off and contain the other players or make the other players beat you I didn't I didn't know if that was by design or if that just happened to happen against the Denver Nuggets and the Pacers on back-to-back uh, games yeah no, I've, I've always thought the Hornets kind of you know they have Michael Kidd Gilchrist um they have Michael Kidd Gilchrist who's a, you know is a good defender I you know I think that regardless of or depending on how you read the metrics you know, you you can make your own determination of how elite of a defender he is, but he's really the only guy you look on this roster and you say, that guy could shut that guy down, right? Like the rest of the team, and especially in the front court, um, is not – we don't have a guy who's going to eliminate one player. So, you know, Jokic, Jokic has been unbelievable um, really in the – definitely since the All-Star break, but really before that – so he's kind of gotten to that point where he's getting his. I don't think we have a guy in the front court that could really deal with Jokic. No. And then Paul and then Paul George, like, here's the deal. Last night in that game, the Pacers took, and I guess we can use this as a segue. The Pacers took three. Let me repeat that, Richie. Three free throws in an NBA game. Three free throws. So not not Paul George took three free throws. <laughs> the entire in, the Pacers team took three free throws. And what that says to me is it's just a team tired on the heels right. of a back-to-back, um, not willing to attack the rim. The Hornets saw them miss some shots early and said, okay, we're going to pack it in defensively. And Paul George just hit shots, right? Like Paul George, just kind of Paul George. Like the Hornets were more than willing to allow him to take contested jump shots, which he did last night, but he is good enough to make those contested jump shots. Um, so if that answers your question, like, yeah, is, you know, is it a viable I, strategy to let the, the top guy get his and just let the other guys try to beat us. 
I don't know. I mean, not against every team. No, right. I, I would definitely say no. It's not against every team, but I think it gets a team like Indiana and Denver that you know doesn't have you know a plethora of options behind their top dog. Yeah, I think it's okay, right? Like if you if you make the other four guys around Paul George take really tough contest, contested outside shots, um, and they're going to miss a, a large percentage of those that Paul George isn't and let him get his 30, 35, 40, whatever he does, you know, yeah, you can still win games. The Hornets proved that last night. Paul George scored 36 points. The Pacers scored 88, right? right. So, like, they they had a great defensive game with Paul George doing his thing because you made, because you made the Pacers be a team. You made them act as a team and weren't overhelping and worried about one-on-one defense as much and really playing team defense, but that's, that's the Clifford mantra. And that's what's made this team surprisingly successful on that end for, you know, three or four seasons now. But yeah, so let's, let's get into the Indiana game a little bit. I thought, I think there's two things to consider here. I, I hear the population out there saying that, well, the Pacers were on a back to back let's not take this deep, you know, let's not give the Hornets too much credit for this defensive effort. Like I get that, but it's still the NBA, still the best athletes in the world. When you, when you hold a Pacers team to 88 points that have, that they've been rolling lately. They like, since the all-star break, I, I would say they've been one of kind of the, the quiet teams in the Eastern conference that has had it going. I still think you build off this if you're Charlotte. And I think Richie, quite frankly, I, I think it's one of their top three defensive performances of the season. I don't care if that team's on the heels of the back-to-back or not. If you allow 88 points from a team, I, I think that regardless of their whether they're playing back-to-back or they have two games rest, that that's a good defensive performance. And I that was one thing that stuck out to me was was definitely the defensive side. And another thing that stood out to me was Kimba's play. I, I think that he's playing with so much confidence since the All-Star break. And you could just tell in that game just the confidence that he had just by the way that he was playing. He was getting to the rim. And then by doing that, he was able to do that step back three. You know, you got to respect all parts of his game at this point when he when he's playing with confidence. You know, he's pushing the pace for the Hornets. Just everything that he was doing there out on the court, you could just tell he was doing with confidence. Absolutely. I mean, he has been, guy, he's been unbelievable since the All-Star break. <laughs> it's just, I, did, I, I was... I was positive. I was confident that that little bit of rest, you know, that that almost a week of rest is all he needed to kind of get back into it. Um, but I wasn't certain. But you know, these these last six games or whatever it is has, has proved that to be a fact. I would almost say he's been he's been more incredible than he was, you know, before the All Star break, and he's been just a pleasure to watch this season. But you know, it, it also has to do with what we talked about the other night. It's just, um, you know, how long can Kimba carry this load? You know, I mean, we know he needs help offensively. Um, Travis pointed this out in our last uh, podcast uh, on Saturday. It's just, you know, you got to get him some help because you put this much pressure on a player uh, over the, you know, the entirety of an 82-game schedule. Not only that, but a guy who has had numerous – uh, knee operations, uh, you're, you're asking for trouble. So, you know, as hard as Kimba is playing and you hear him in the post-game interview last night because it was a national TV game and, I mean, gosh, he wants the playoffs. He wants it and he, he has completely inherited, um, you, you know, the, the responsibility of carrying this team as far as he can, but he needs help. 
and and Nick Batum has provided that in spurts. I would say here recently, and and, and kind of did. I, I wouldn't say fully did last night, but he gets twenty one, which is uh, way more than we've come to expect from him in Charlotte so far. But you know, he needs help. He needs help. So let's let's stay on Batum for a second, Richie. Tell me what you think about Batum's performance. Um, well, obviously he had a good game in Denver. And then he had a really good game in, in Los Angeles against the Clippers. And then last night, he scores 21. He's 7 of 19 from the field. So not super efficient. Um, but he but he gets 21, right? And that's – we're not – like he averages barely right. over 14 a game. So just tell me about Batum recently, what you see, what you think's coming. Are there positives or are there more negatives? Right. I, I don't know. I, I It's baby steps with Batum. You, you know, he has these games, these spurts where he does score 20 points and he, he's a positive for the Hornets, like these past two games where he's averaging about 20 points a game, where he's shooting very well from behind the arc. He's getting others involved in the past two games. He's averaging six assists. So we, we see the signs with Batum. And I know that lot last podcast, we just gave him all this crap because he, he was was soft with the ball, which he still is. He still turns the ball over. He's going to average two to four turnovers a game, and at least two of them are just going to be head scratchers. But when he scores 21 points like he did against uh, the Pacers last night, there's the help that you're getting. There's the help that you're getting from Kemba. I know that Kemba shot 22 times, and that's uh, well above his average. But, you know, Batum provided a punch too, and that's what we need. And, And Kemba can't do it on his own, and I don't think the 22 shots that he took were necessarily four shots. I think, for the most part, they were in the flow of the game. Uh, but that's because they he had someone else that was helping him out there with the with the distribution with Batum and also with the the scoring punch. So moving forward with Batum, you just you just don't know. I, I I see it as being this up and down type of thing where he has three games on, two games off, three games on, two games off. So it's baby steps with Batum. I'm gonna give him credit for the past two games, but you know he can come out against Miami and put up a performance uh, that's just soft and, and and doesn't put up any points. Yeah, I would agree. You know, I think the other thing about Batum, and it's just something I like. I don't know, it's just an eye test thing. You know, there's no, <laughs> there's no data behind this. But <clears throat> when I watch the Hornets play, and I feel like when Batum, like he did last night, he got going early, right? Like against Denver, he gets going early. I feel like when Batum can get it going early and just let Kimba settle in offensively and and just be himself and not feel the pressure to take bad shots right Right. so i guess what i'm saying is like when batum get it going early the hornets kind of get into an offensive flow then kimba doesn't feel the pressure of taking like over the course of two quarters the first half he doesn't feel the pressure of taking four five bad shots right just because he has to because he feels so much pressure to carry the offense these guys take these these bad shots and you blink your eyes and kimba's had a bad half and the hornets have had a bad half offensively like Batum is not a second option. I think we've documented that very well. Yeah. But if he can get off to a solid or at least above average start, I feel like the offense just settles down because they know, okay, we've got – like Kim is going to get his. If we've got Batum going tonight, like, all right, like we're, we're in this game. We're good. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean I think that Kimba – I've noticed this throughout the year that Kemba doesn't necessarily have to turn it on early. He can turn it on at any point. So if Batum is getting his early on and he has that confidence early on, it's going to make things easier for Walker, uh, you know, in the second, third, and fourth quarter. So if Batum is an option, 
and people have to respect him on the defensive end, it's going to make things easier for Walker. Now, now Walker can turn it on at any point, and we've seen that throughout the year, just kind of uh, carrying this team with with the point total and everything. But yeah, that, that's a valid point. Batum needs that confidence real early in the game. Well, and then the last thing I want to touch on uh, in this Indiana game is uh, is Michael Kidd Gilchrist and Cody Zeller uh, performance. They both record double doubles last night. Let's see, MKG had 13 rebounds. Cody has 11 rebounds. I mean that that's kind of the blueprint for this team. Like they they both need to do the dirty work on the glass, which they both did last night. Um, and. Th- <laughs> When those guys get those gritty numbers, MKG and Zeller, I think that's a super, super good sign uh, for the Hornets because, number one, for MKG, he's getting engaged in the part of the game that he needs to get engaged in, right? Like he doesn't need to go out there and score you know, 20 points for the Hornets to be successful, but he does need to go get 13 rebounds or, or at least double-digit rebounds. Yeah. Zeller obviously needs to get double-digit di- rebounds because he's our center. But on top of that, the fact that they both – became engaged enough in the offense to get double digit points. They're your 20 to 25 point. That, that's that 20 to 25 points that when you add it all up in the end means a ton. And a lot of that comes off second chances. Uh, I can't tell you exactly how many of that came off second chances last night, but definitely some of it, I can guarantee you that, but just those two getting engaged in the aspect or in the parts of the game that are rebounds uh, and gritty, under the basket, I'm going to work harder than you points. That is very important for the Hornets, and I think it's very much a part of their identity. Um, and, and that's really the that's really the last thing that I wanted to bring up about the Indiana game. Richie, anything else that we didn't touch on? I'm surprised you didn't bring up Lamb. What? what? That's, hey, look, that's why I always say, Richie, before we move on, <laughs> because you have a better head on your shoulders probably than I do, and, and so you can always correct me. That's why I always ask you that question. God, I'm glad you brought that up. I like Lamb. I like the what he brings to this team. He's I've said this numerous times. He's one of the few players on our team that can create off the dribble. And you've seen this this year with his mid-range. He likes to dribble to his left and pull up in the mid-range. And recently, he's actually been hitting threes, which we've seen that his three-point percentage is not that great. He was two for three against the uh, the Pacers the other night. And if he can add a three-point shot, that's going to make him more dangerous getting to the rim because he's going to have to respect – people are going to have to close out a little bit harder on him. But, yeah, love Lamb's play. He has all the talent in the world. He's just kind of finally stringing things together recently. Yeah, last night was very encouraging. I'll say a few things about Lamb. I, you know, number one, and I've said this for a long time, but he, he has to learn to be more decisive offensively. So right. when, he, when he catches the ball – you know, guys, I think I think if I if I play basketball with a guy like Jeremy Lamb, when the ball goes to him, I know that he's a creator. Like he's a scorer. He's looking for his own shot. That's just his it's his blueprint. That's it. That's his DNA as a basketball player, especially offensively. And so I'm kind of waiting on him to make a decision before I react. And and that's one of the things that he's got to get better at because he'll catch it. And if there, if a ball screen, you know, if if the big doesn't immediately come to set a screen, he stands there for a second and a half, probably on average, and surveys everything, and it immediately stops the offense. So yes. you can li- you can live with that. Okay, listen, you can live with that if he can become, you know, if he can 
become a little bit quicker in making a decision. So what I mean by that is he's got to get in the gym this offseason. He's got to work on catching the ball, okay, without a ball screen, okay, and working on a move that gets him straight into a scoring spot. So if that's just a jab step and one dribble to his left into his shot, that's fine. If that's a rip through, one dribble, euro step, left hand layup, that's fine. But he's got to find a move that that gets him to a decision, right? Because once you build that one move that gets you going towards the basket or, or, or getting into some kind of offensive sequence, then when the help defense comes or when the defender beats you to that spot, now you know, okay, now I'm going to a pass. And so that's kind of how you build your offensive game. And And I just haven't seen Jeremy Lamb, I haven't seen him do that throughout his NBA career. And that's been the biggest disappointment. Now, the other part of that, Richie, is this, is that Jeremy Lamb, when a a ball screen comes to him, he's better, right? Because he come off the ball screen and all of a sudden there's that space there for him where at least he has the option to take the shot. But we saw, and especially on one play late in the second half last night, he comes off the ball screen to his left. So going to his weak hand, his left hand, Let's see, he, he he comes off of it, he takes two dribbles, gets to the help defender still dragging on him, dragging on him. He gives him a hesitation dribble, right. which is probably Lamb's best move, the hesitation yep. dribble. He kind of kind of gets it where he almost palms it, but he doesn't, so he never gets called <laughs> for it. And he, and he goes up with that left hand and he finishes. I mean, it's a beautiful move, and his length always shows out when he makes that move because he can finish over a lot of really, really tall guys. So, you know, Jeremy Lamb is this – the frustration with him is that he is so talented, and it's all there, right? It, it, everything that he needs, the, the tool set is there. It just feels like he hasn't developed it. And uh, you wonder if that's more attributed to him, not working hard enough. Is it more attribute, you know, attributed to the coaching staff or an, an individual coach not really getting in there? Uh, and working with him more, and it's hard to put a point of finger on that. But but you're right about his style. His style doesn't really necessarily fit our offense. No, I would say it doesn't fit our offense. But I would say it fits our second unit in terms of like we need a we need that option um, off the bench to just go find a shot so badly. And with Bellinelli playing the way that he's playing, oh, gosh, I mean it's it's pathetic. I mean that guy can't. <laughs> if he's not taking a fadeaway jumper with his, you know, with his scissor feet or scissor legs, that like, then he's not going to take a shot. I mean, he just has, he's hopeless right now. Um, and teams know it and they just switch that action, that little dribble handoff. They'll just go ahead and switch it a lot. And, uh, yeah, Bellinelli's just offering you nothing. Is that he had zero points against the Pacers? Yeah, he didn't score last night. I mean, but, you know, Lamb has the ability to become a really good second option off the bench, uh, for the Hornets and, so we'll see. But, uh, you know, I, I've always watched him as a player and thought that here's a guy who can be a real NBA talent. Um, he's always felt like a guy off the bench. You know, it, it is very ceiling, you know, a Jamal Crawford type of guy who can come in and give you, you know, 10 points in, in 15 minutes, whatever that might be. But he's just never – again, he's never developed all those uh, – he's never used every single tool or at least three quarters of those tools that that he was giving just physically, and uh, and I don't know if he ever will. But the Hornets got one more season with him to figure out if he can uh, if he can do that. Yeah, we'll see. We will see. So I'm glad you brought up Jeremy Lamb. <clears throat> All right, Richie. So let's look at the schedule uh, coming ahead for the Hornets. Try to just dissect that real quickly and see where they can be with 
let's do this. Let's say with 10 games left in the season, where can the Hornets be? Can they make a run? So point out you know, the upcoming schedule, if you would, for us, for the Hornets, and let's try to let's try to figure this thing out. All right, you want to run through the next, like, five games? I think five is a great number. Let's go through the next five games. All right, next five games, Wednesday. By the time you're listening to this, it's probably today. At Miami, Friday, home against Orlando. Saturday, home against New Orleans. Then we got Monday of next week, home against Chicago. And then Wednesday of next week against... Indiana. I mean, that's a very favorable schedule right there. I know that Miami's playing very well as of late. They got the best record in the league since January 15th. But, I mean, conceivably, we could win Orlando, New Orleans, Chicago, and Indiana. But then again, we could also go 1-4 and four in that same stretch. So, it's going to be very tough. It's going to be very tough. We're, we're going to be battling it to the end. I don't see us making the playoffs. We'll be real close where it tempts us every week to where we're trying to push for that eight seed. And I know like like you talked about earlier in the podcast where Kemba really wants to make the playoffs. I'm not sure there's any benefit to that, but I mean, the, the schedule is favorable. We have a lot of home games coming up. We'll see. I mean, I, I, I can see us going four and one in the next game, but I can also see us going one and four. Yeah. This Miami game is super interesting to me tomorrow night. You know, I think, you know, obviously it's your point. Miami has been a really, 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 really good team since the new year. Um, they, they're coming off a Cleveland win at Cleveland last night. Um, I mean, they're hot, right? And they're playing with as much confidence as anybody in the league. If Charlotte goes down there and gets a win, I, I officially say, especially with the next two games coming home against Orlando and New Orleans, I say, look, the Hornets are back into it, right? If they go win in Miami – I know it looks like they're beating a very mediocre team when you go from the season standings, right. but the reality is, is they're beating, again, to your point, one of the best teams since the new year in the NBA. So that game will be very interesting to me. I think if they go 3-2 and two in these next five, I think that's about what, what they what their goal is and what they need to do. Uh, if they do any better than that, uh, you know, I think you really count the Hornets in coming down the stretch here. Um, I'd say if they go two and three, one and four, you know, I, I think that now we're having the conversation that we were having, you know, a week ago, which was, Hey, we're definitely going to the lottery. What are we even talking about? But, you know, l- l- let's see, I would expect them to go three and two. And I think if they do that, they're, they're still exactly where, where they are today and what we're talking about right now. But the home schedule, you know, here in the next, again, 13 games, I mean, they've got a lot of games at home coming up and, you know, the Hornets look really good at home last night. It kind of feels like they're going to figure it out. I don't know why at home to end the season here. And, you know, probably if you look at the odds and, and play the, the law of averages, if you will, it, you know, probably will come up just short of the eight seed because right. they're just too much of a hole to dig themselves out of. But it does feel like they're going to figure it out at home. To end the season, Richie, which unfortunately puts us in that no man's picking 12 to 14 or 10 to 14, whatever yeah. that is, in the draft where we don't want to be, but it's kind of what it feels like right now. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're going to be tempted to go for it because we're going to be so close with these home games, with this favorable schedule, with Kemba being determined and trying to get us there. But like you said, I give us, okay, if I were to put percentage-wise, I'd give us a 30% chance of making the playoffs, which is obviously not too good, but it's good enough to where we're going to be tempted to go for it. Yeah, I agree 100%. I mean, I just think we're in that 
we're in that space where we just have to go forward at this point. And, um, but it is what it is. You know, you, you set yourself up for this kind of stuff with your team building. Uh, we've gone over that plenty. We won't do that now, but, uh, but it looks like the Hornets are going to ride this out to the end and, and see where it gets them. Um, all right, Richie. Well, we wanted to keep this thing in a reasonable time frame tonight, and I think we're pushing right up against that 45-minute mark if we haven't already passed it. But um, but I think we'll go ahead and wrap this thing. Is there anything else that, that we want to talk about before we go? No, I think we've covered it all. All right, very good. All right, folks. Well, again, this is the BuzzBeat Podcast, and we are a member of the Almighty Baller Podcast Network. Uh, please go over uh, to, to abpn.com and check out all of that stuff. Or excuse me, Richie, it's almightyballer.com. I don't know why I said abpn.com, but <laughs> go go over to the Almighty Baller podcast and check out all their good stuff over there. Again, they've got every single team in the NBA and the association covered uh, from a podcast standpoint. They've got DFS podcast, fantasy, what, whatever you want. They, they've got it over at abpn. So please make sure – you're checking out them and continue to uh, come to Queen City Hoops for all your Hornets uh, written content, analysis, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And, and again, we appreciate all the people that have hung in there with us and are uh, consistent listeners. Let us know what we can do better. Let us know what you want to hear more of um, and et cetera. Uh, Richie, let our listeners and fans know where they can find us on the interwebs and take us with them. Yeah, guys, check us out. You're able to listen to us on the computer or in the car. You guys can download the Stitcher app or search BuzzBeat in iTunes to download all of our podcasts to date. Again, this is our 16th episode, and we're looking to continue this. And again, guys, please rate and review us as well. That would be greatly appreciated. And if you guys can follow us on Twitter, at BuzzBeatPodcast. And again, if we put stuff out uh, with our podcast, we would love if you guys can retweet it so it gets out to more followers. And thanks again, guys, for all the support. Uh, and we will see you guys soon. All right, awesome. So we will probably be back uh, next weekend would be my uh, my best guess. And by then we'll have much better feel where the Hornets are at. But again, thanks everybody for listening. And we will see you next time. Go Hornets. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.